Recovery Elevator, episode 215. Why do I keep doing this? And every week you tell yourself the new promise of like, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to do it anymore. And it's just like a broken record. So you just get so exhausted with yourself. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we have Ashley. She's 31 years old. She's from Chicago, and she talks about how not drinking at the airport is a total win for her. On today's podcast, I'm going to talk to you about how alcohol is the invitation. Now, this is the talk that I gave to the Recovery Elevator Retreat in Nashville. So I'm going to give a summarized version of this talk Um, And then after we hear from Ashley, I'm going to dive a little bit further into it, plus give you guys kind of a recap uh, of the Nashville retreat, which was the end of February, and it was an incredible time. Um, But first, got a couple announcements. Uh, First one is the Recovery Elevator Asia Adventure Trip is now on the recoveryelevator.com website, so go check it out for full details. But uh, a quick snapshot, dates are January 20th to 31st, 2020. Cost is $27.99 if you do three payments or $26.99 if paid in full. This 12-day trip, we fly into Bangkok, check out the incredible city for a couple days, and then head north to the jungles of Thailand, where we will be visiting a place called Elephant World. We then make our way into Cambodia, where we check out some of the world's most impressive archaeological sites. Uh, Again, go to recoveryelevator.com for more details in the full itinerary. Also, the Bozeman Retreat, which has been open for registration for three weeks now, is is now officially more than half full. Uh, This event may sell out, so so please don't wait. And again, this event, like all events, is a celebration of your decision to move forward in life without alcohol. This Bozeman Retreat will be fun. It is not a punishment, not even for a second. I think this will be about the eighth retreat that I've put on, and I'm starting to get this thing figured out. I make a little tweaks after each event, and it's becoming clear of what this is. And again, it is a celebration. Sure, we're going to learn exciting tips and tricks of how to stay sober. Um, Some of them you might hear from myself at these events. Most likely, you're going to hear them from other people. Um, But all these events, it's not Recovery Elevator Live. It's not Paul Churchill Live at this event. It's you guys coming alive at this event. And it's so cool to watch you guys allow yourself to have fun, to let the shell open a little bit, to allow space to enter, and to be the person who you've always been. These are incredible events, and I don't want to make it sound like it's, it's a sales pitch, even though that it is kind of what it is. But I also attend these events as a person in recovery. I'm also walking this walk, and I need this medicine also. I have so much fun at these events. Anyways, there's plenty of testimonials on the website that, that I think do a good job of speaking for themselves. Okay, let's get started. So who out there in life would like to move forward in life without alcohol? You cannot see it, but my hand is raised high. Congratulations, you got it. You got the invitation. You got the invite to the best dance of all time. You got a life filled with infinite joy and a tremendous amount of inner peace, depending on how you RSVP. But the fact you're listening right now gives me a good clue of how you're going to RSVP. What is this invitation? Well, we get it through alcohol. It's called addiction. And there may be some listening right now that have more than one addiction. This is not a bad thing at all. The most significant and lasting positive change that we can experience in life is often precedented by extreme suffering and pain. Congratulations. Most likely you've already gone through the hardest part. There's a good chance this portion of the journey is behind you. And I encourage you to let it stay behind you. 
Now, to be fair, most people in life, including normal drinkers, if that's even a thing, um, they also get invitations. They too find themselves stuck in life. And after a brief scan, and usually this is external, they'll arrive at a point and they'll say, hmm, I guess I need to change careers, or perhaps I need to move states, buy a bigger house, or maybe change who I'm spending the rest of my life with. Ah, they were this close. But we, this incredibly lucky group of individuals who are listening right now, including myself speaking, got the invitation. And at first, it might have been disguised as a one-off, or they don't show up with enough frequency for us to connect the dots, or we tell ourselves it's just par for the course if we drink gallons of booze within a short amount of time. But sooner or later, these invitations show up once a year, once every six months, once a week, every day. We know where this is going. They show up every single day in every aspect of our lives. This invitation is alcohol. Now, many of you guys, including myself, when this invitation first showed up, I said, fuck no, no thank you. And for many who struggle with addiction, they ignore this invitation their entire lives and it's not pretty. But for others, and like I mentioned, the fact you're listening to this episode right now indicates how you respond or how you've already responded. And guys, this isn't a mind trick or a simple shift in perspective. Nope, you guys are way too smart for that. Hell, I'd even be able to see through that. But it will become clear if we stick with this long enough that our addiction is the best thing that ever happened, not to us, but for us. Now, some of you guys might be saying alcohol, addiction, invitation. Paul, I'm not sure about that. It feels like I got off on the wrong track sometime in life. Well, a little bit about that. You've never been on the wrong path. You'll never be on the wrong path. You're on the path that you're currently on. It's the path that led you to listen to this podcast, which has been the right path from the start. Let me tell you a quick story. A guy was shopping at a mall near the coast of Southern California. Before leaving, he saw a gorgeous car and saw that if he dropped a business card in a gigantic fishbowl, he had the chance to win the car. So he drops his business card in the fishbowl and two days later, gets a call from the mall and says, hey, come pick up your car. Just two days later, this gentleman is T-boned at an intersection. He breaks both legs and arm, and what's worse, the car isn't insured, so the car's gone. While this gentleman is in the hospital, his friends visit him and say, man, that's a tough break, buddy. We are sorry to hear about this. But two weeks later, just one day before his scheduled release, he learns of a landslide that took his house out to sea in the middle of the night. His friends show up the next day and say, whoa, you would have been sleeping in that house. You would have been swept out to sea. You would have died. You're the luckiest guy on this planet. We've never been on the wrong path. It's on the correct path, the one we're currently on, is where we received the invitation. An invitation to wake up and to go within. Now, some of you may have recently been T-boned in the game of life in regards to alcohol. I get this. But for myself, looking back, this was all part of the journey and it had to happen. Some of the most profound and revered thought leaders of all time have suffered from addiction. These people accepted the invitation. They embraced it as an opportunity to make profound change in their lives. And we almost missed it. I can't speak for everyone, but I almost labeled the entirety of my addiction as bad, as unfortunate as in why me. I'm not going to bullshit you. I went through some tough times there. In my early 20s after college, I moved home with my parents, saved up $28,000, went to Spain and bought a bar. Three years later, I walked away from every penny. It sucked. And then I continued to get my ass kicked for another seven years from alcohol. I earned my invitation. For those of you listening, you have earned 
your invitation. And now it's time to ask how you'll respond to this invitation. Now keep in mind, the pain and suffering needed required to initiate this positive change is behind you. That beautiful bullshit is behind you and let it stay there. I read somewhere the odds of winning the lotto are 1 in 127 million. I also heard the odds of you being you in this universe on this planet right now are about 1 in 400 trillion. Now this is a huge number. I have no idea how it was calculated, but let's just roll with it. So not only did you already win the biggest lotto of all time by simply being on this planet, you're part of the elite few who get this invitation to wake up and step into the greatest dance of all time. You're not a fly, you're not a gnat, you're not a caterpillar or a cat or a dog, you're a human being, the most powerful intelligent species on this planet. And this thing called life, if it hasn't already, is gonna start to get good. Now it's time to ask yourself, if you haven't already, how will you RSVP to this invitation? And after we hear from Ashley, I'm gonna explore a little bit more about this invitation. I'll be honest with you, I got some blank stares in the audience. This is a vague talk, I'm aware of that. So we'll explore it a little bit more after we hear from Ashley. But before we hear from Ashley, let's hear from my favorite resource in recovery, Cafe RE. The most important thing I've learned while doing the Recovery Elevator podcast is we can't do this alone. Believe me, I tried for over two years and it didn't work. So here's the good news. With Cafe RE, you get access to a confidential and unsearchable Facebook group, which is capped at 300 members to ensure intimacy. Then you get access to the Cafe RE forum outside of Facebook which means you don't need a Facebook account to be part of Cafe RE. Both are private and only members can see who is in the groups and what is said. In the forum and Facebook group, you get instant accountability and genuine connection with others who also wish to lead a life without alcohol. In Cafe RE, you'll find that being sober is a tremendous opportunity and not a sacrifice. For just $19 a month, you too can join the conversation. You can be paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, online meetups, attend in-person meetups and retreats, participate in book club, movie club, and more. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code opportunity to waive this setup fee. I hope to see you there. Ashley, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking, Ashley. And Ashley, let's get right into this. How long have you been sober? So as of today, I've been sober for just a little over six months, so I'm at 192 days. Wow. Congratulations. How's that feel? It feels freaking amazing. I feel like it's probably the biggest accomplishment I've ever had in my whole life. And I've done some pretty cool stuff, but I feel like, you know, this is the most trying through my whole life. And to be able to get this far just it feels really awesome. Yeah. Congratulations on six months. And I know a lot of listeners can resonate with what you just said. I know I can as well that Sobriety, this decision is also my biggest accomplishment in life, and I have found that it is building. It, that it's not like it plateaus and say, oh, that was cool, learned to ride a bike, got sober, uh, what next? It is, it is building. The investment in this decision in my life continues to pay back, which is so awesome, and I, and I can't wait to hear more about your story. And Before we get any further, <laughs> uh, you mentioned it's cold out there in Chicago. <laughs> it's oh, funny the way the yeah, world works. Tell like- us about your morning. Uh, so it's like negative 20 almost like negative 45 with the wind chill which 
I don't even know why I live here, honestly, because I hate winter. But it's kind of cool because it makes everyone like really unified in the city of like helping each other out and all that. So I tried to hit up a AA meeting this morning, but my car wouldn't even start. So I had to just reroute and, you know, come listen to a podcast, prep myself. And now I'm just, you know, taking it easy, having a good morning. So it all worked out, really. Yeah, your car's like, come on, Ashley, we're not we're not doing this right now. <laughs> Please don't make me do this. Yeah, and one of the coldest days of the year, you had an interview scheduled on a recovery podcast, so kind of worked out just fine. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and give listeners a little background about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living, your age, do you have a family, and what do you like to do in your free time? Um, okay, well, I live in Chicago. I've lived here for about eight years. I live with my sister, and we have two dogs, and she's like my best friend, so that's really awesome to have a good support system at home. But otherwise, I'm single. I recently switched careers and went to cosmetology school. So now I'm going through my apprenticeship um, to become a hairstylist at a salon in the city. And for fun, is really interesting because for a long time, I like knew things that I like to do, but I wasn't doing them because really all I was doing was like partying and drinking. So now it's really cool to actually have things to say that I like to do for fun and I do them. So um, for me, I really like cooking. Um, I'm really into music and going to concerts, which has always been like super huge for me. And with sobriety, I've really gotten into like heavy weightlifting and powerlifting stuff. And also back into playing soccer, which I did my whole life. And I'm really big into meditation now too. What kind of dogs do you have? So we have a Cocker Spaniel. Her name is Penny. And she actually got pregnant at doggy daycare this summer. So she had seven puppies this summer. And the dad is a doodle, so she's a cockadoodle. <laughs> got pregnant at doggy daycare this summer. There's, there's got to be like a small print on the contract when you drop your dog off. You would think. I don't know. It's pretty. It's totally bananas. But, um, yeah, so we have a teen mom at home. <laughs> wow. That is awesome. And I love hearing yeah. <laughs> about these new directions that life can take. Hey, let's get into heavy lifting. Why not? We can do it in sobriety. That is so cool. Yeah, I love it. I'm obsessed. <laughs> yeah. And give listeners a little background with your drinking. Perhaps when you started, your habits, did you ever attempt to moderate? And when did you realize that alcohol might not be serving a purpose? Oh, okay. Well, I know the first time I really drank, I was probably like 13 or 14 years old. And I was in my neighbor's basement and I know like a lot of people that, you know, are alcoholics or have struggled with, you know, misusing alcohol have talked about like they just knew from the moment they drank that like it did something completely different to them and it made them feel this kind of like euphoric out of body experience or just like was able to escape a lot of emotions because I knew from the time I was young that I was like very different. I've always been really like hypersensitive to and like empathetic to people where I like absorb a lot of people's energy and that was you know I didn't realize it being younger but that was really hard for me to like process a lot of emotion that I felt all the time so I think like looking back now like I realized like I really like the idea of like having a trap door or like that route of escapism and you know it was I totally got drunk it was so embarrassing I like went home and I told my mom I was drinking and it was probably super obvious and I got sick like 
it was just not good. And I just kind of decided, you know, woke up and I was like, I should never do that again. It's so bad. But I was also like very intrigued by it. So like high school just went through a lot of time of like, I was really big into sports and art stuff. And so I was hanging out with like lots of different crowds. So I just like drank a lot on like weekends and went to parties and did that kind of stuff. But even then I knew that like I knew right away I probably had a problem with alcohol because there was never this like I'm just you know I would see kids drink like a beer at a party and then leave and I was always like fixated on like how do I drink more like from the moment I drank it was like until I like couldn't drink anymore and it freaked me out but I also was like but I'm having fun doing it so that kind of like I made my way through through high school but I didn't really get in like a lot of severe trouble I would just started like sneaking out and doing that kind of stuff. And I would get in trouble and get grounded. And as soon as I would get ungrounded, I would like do something again. And I was always like that. And my parents were like, why do you keep doing this? And I was like, I don't know. So I've made it to college. I got into a pretty good school and I was like ready to, you know, just hit the ground running with partying. I knew it when I got to college. I was like, this is my time to shine. This is what it's all about. Like finally, it's I, go like, time. <laughs> Yeah, like, no, mom and dad, like, I don't have a bedtime. I don't need to tell anybody where I am. And it was just like, that was like, I remember like, that was my focus. Because through high school, even I had some issues with like depression, and was taking medication for that. And I remember like, I was kind of thinking back through everything. Like, you know, because I knew we'd get to this stuff in the podcast. And I was like, remember that, like, I didn't want to be on meds for like antidepressants when I went to college because I knew that would like get in the way of drinking. And it's just like really weird to be like 19 years old. And like, that's what you're focused on of like how you make college happen. It's best like nothing focused on like the academics of it. Yeah, or we're, we're eight I mean, minutes into this interview, and that's a fantastic "you might be an alcoholic" if line right there. By the way, nice job, <laughs> <laughs> nailed it. Right, thank you. So, um, so yeah, so I mean, college was a lot of series of just like partying and blacking out, but I kind of always like I had a lot of fun. I didn't get into any like severe trouble, so I think that's what always kind of kept me going. Of like, there isn't a real problem here because nothing really bad ever happened, and. I kind of like kept in the back of my mind, like, well, once I get out of college, like, it's not going to be like this anymore. I'm totally going to grow up and, you know, I'm going to have all these like amazing things happen. And like, I'll still probably just be like a, you know, really luxurious glass of wine with dinner kind of lady, you know, and it's just, like, it didn't go that way. Yeah, it's just going to fade um, out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, nice try. <laughs> so right after college, I moved to Chicago and I was pretty much just like kept it to being like a weekend warrior kind of person or like, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the occasional Sunday. And that seems like normal to me. And the occasional weekend warrior four <laughs> days in a row, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, yeah. Sunday, the majority of the week. <laughs> I love it. You're doing, yeah, Ashley, you're doing like, great. Thanks. So, you know. Everyone has that, the, you know, Sunday scaries, you wake up and I was like, well, maybe I'll just go to brunch so I don't have to sit at home and feel all this like looming anxiety. And then, you know, then you decide like Monday, I'm not going to drink again, or I'm going to at least make it to Saturday. But then someone invites you out to do something random and go to a concert. So then you get drunk there and it's like, you know, this just like repeating cycle. I just like couldn't stop. And so... I remember being like probably 25 
And I like woke up one morning and I was like sitting on my phone and Googled signs you're an alcoholic. Or it was like, what is an alcoholic? And it's just like so mind blowing to me now. It's like if you have to sit there and Google that, like it's probably pretty true. Like you're there, sister, you know? And so yep. I was reading about all that and I was like, yeah, but what really like defines like when do you know you're an alcoholic? And I've struggled with that forever because you know, like you've talked about a lot in the podcast before of like, we have this like under the bridge, brown paper bag, no job, like no finances, just like completely cut off. And I didn't have that problem. So I just justified to myself of like, this seems pretty normal. Like, I feel like this is what a lot of people do. I don't have like a severe problem. I don't have to drink every single day, morning, noon and night. So I must not be an alcoholic. And I really like clung on to that idea for a long time. And then I ended up getting involved in a relationship that, you know, ended really tumultuously and was just really bad. And it put me in a super dark place. And I tried to like do everything in my power to like, you know, not feel super depressed, but that was really hard for me. And I ended up having like a lot of panic attacks and some like issues with eating disorders flare up and I ended up going to the hospital for a panic attack at one point and I was just really like drinking a lot, using a lot of drugs just to like numb that all out because I didn't want to deal with it. And after I kind of came out of that like spell of like, what am I doing with my life? I was like, okay, I'm not going to drink for one month because I need to like prove to myself that I don't have a problem. <laughs> and, and how old are you, when, you like, when you did this test? This was probably, geez, I was probably 27 or 28 at this oh, okay. time. Gotcha. I think it was like 20, 2016. So yeah, it was probably like 27. And I knew like I was getting ready to go to Coachella and I had a month before that. So I was like, I'm not going to drink for a whole month before that because maybe I can like, you know, get my, get my shit together and like prove that I don't have a problem. And I did it successfully, but I just totally white knuckled it because I just wanted to be like to prove to myself that there wasn't this like underlying issue. So I was like 30 days, like that's nothing. And and so what was it like just, when you did prove it to yourself? You got 30 days. You're like, Coachella, here I come. The unalcoholic <laughs> Ashley, bring it on. Yeah. And then I was like, so let's do a bunch of drugs. <laughs> so I was like, but I'm not drinking, you know? I got really into this whole idea that I was like, this is really cool. Like I'm able to not drink. I know I can do that. But then I was doing drugs anyway. So like looking back on it, it's kind of like, yeah, you weren't sober. But in my head, I was like, but I'm not drinking. So it's not leading me to do as much like dumb things that I was doing before. And then I just started like, you know, slowly here it came. Like I would start drinking a little bit again and go out one night a week. And then it all just comes back because that's, this is how it works for me, you know, and for a lot of people of like, there, there is no moderation. Like, I just don't have that in my system. It just doesn't go like that for me. Yeah, that's how it works for so, me too. Yeah. You know, it seems like it would be a perfect world if that worked, but it just doesn't. So I was fully like back in and partying and everything kind of seemed like I seemed like I was okay. I didn't feel anything like terribly wrong happen, but it just started progressing and it got more and more intensive. Like I was blacking out every single time I would drink. And I was just so lucky that I didn't wake up in jail. I didn't wreck my car. I didn't hurt somebody else. But like, I was like the queen of being like self-destructive, leaving my 
ID in cards places. I would wake up like on my deck with the door wide open or I would wake up covered in bruises. I don't even know what happened to me or, you know, you open your eyes and you're like, wow, I'm in my bed or I'm not in my bed. And just like that stuff became just like so hard hitting to yourself of like, why do I keep doing this? And every week you tell yourself the new promise of like, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to do it anymore. And it's just like a broken record. So you just get so exhausted with yourself and like keeping these promises that you just can't keep. And it was really hard. So I had a pretty bad incident with um, my ex that I mentioned prior. And after that morning, I woke up and I was just like, I need to do something about this. And so I decided that like, I was like, now's the time. And I'd been looking into going to A for a while. And I went and I made it for like 65 days. And I just, I really didn't want to like, it was really hard for me to grasp that I had a problem. And I didn't want to believe it. So I was stuck to like 65 days or so. And then I went back out for like another year and a half. And that year and a half was probably the year that it got the worst of just like really drinking hard, using a lot of drugs, like anything to escape what I didn't want to deal with and what I didn't want to manage. And there was a lot of like trauma that I went through that like I didn't, I just didn't know how to cope or deal with it. So, you know, I think like we had mentioned in like another podcast before that like addiction is a symptom of distress and like that was 100% me. So finally this summer it just came to a point where like I went went to go to another music festival here and I was going to go with like the whole idea of like I'm not going to drink when I go and I didn't even last like five minutes into the (laughs) walking into the gates of this. And And, like this summer of 2018 this last summer? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this July. And, you know, it was just like realizing like that I'm supposed to be going to this thing to like enjoy all these bands that I love. And I'm just like there getting drunk, like in a grass field and doing and smoking like tons of weed and like totally like not the point of it. And I was just so like disgusted with myself. Oh, like this is like, what is this going to be like the rest of your life? You know? And I just realized like, how much I was missing out on and just not feeling good about things. So the next morning I like had woken up and was like, it's got to change. So I had an appointment with one of my doctors and her and I had been talking for a while about just like a lot of the like substance use I was doing. And I kind of came like, well, I did come super clean to her about everything. And she like suggested that, you know, I look into a program at Hazelden and maybe consider doing like an IOP or just going and talking to people and getting back into AA. So the next day I went to a women's meeting and I was just so lucky that I found an amazing group of women. That's like now my home group that I see every like Thursday or Friday. And I just really like dove into the program because I wanted so much more for myself. So. And was that, that was July 23rd, 2018, correct? Mm hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Nice, nice job. And and what did you say earlier about addiction again? I, I was writing something down. You said it, it about stress. Say it again. Oh, that it's a symptom of distress. That symptom of distress. I love how you phrase that. And I just compiled and I just compiled my full thoughts on what addiction is in the book that I've got coming out in late July, early August this summer. And I fully <laughs> agree that addiction is a manifestation of past stress, past trauma, and in conjunction with our current environment. And, and it, a lot of times when the stuff is not dealt with, 
It will be dealt with eventually, but not on our own terms. And a lot of times this looks like addiction. And I love how you said that. And I also want to comment how you said you came clean on July 23rd with your doctor. You got honest with yourself. You got honest with somebody else. This is a huge step forward that a lot of people might glance over. I know I personally have sat in on a comfy couch talking to a psychiatrist, psychologist, and I've been asked the question, Paul, do you think alcohol is the problem? And even though I had a long list, the writing was on the wall, clearly it was the problem. I still couldn't say it. And I don't, I don't even think I was lying to the person. I don't think I was lying to myself. It was just how the disease of alcoholism works. I couldn't say it. Um, and then there were a couple of times when I knew then I still couldn't say it. So when we finally come clean, we're honest with first person is ourselves. And then we're honest with another individual. That's when the rubber hits the road. And sounds like that was the start of your sobriety, your sobriety date. Comment a little bit more about honesty. Oh man. So yeah, I mean, I remember like having a lot of issues with like depression and anxiety my whole life. I've been in and out of going to therapists or seeing psychiatrists. And I would always, always, always lie about my like use stuff. And I feel like it's like you see that a lot on even just like internet memes and stuff when people are like how they like jokingly lie to their doctors about like how much how many glasses of wine they drink a day or something. But I knew going in there when I'd be like, yeah, you know, I'll go out on the weekends, but I'm not telling these people that I'm literally drinking like, you know, gasoline amounts of (laughs) old fashions and shots and beers and like that I can't even, I couldn't even give someone a quantity of like how much I drank in a week. I have no idea, like alarming, you know? And so like for that to be honest and like come clean, I just knew I was so just like exhausted and I couldn't do it anymore. And a lot of my story too revolves around like I found out in January, like February-ish of 2018, like six months before I got sober, that I had been uh, misdiagnosed often um, with just depression, anxiety, but I actually have bipolar too. Um, so a lot of like what I found out is like it's really common, especially for women uh, with this disease to like use alcohol and drugs as like a coping mechanism too. And explained a lot of like why I would do these like really impulsive behaviors and not sleep for days and would party, but then I would get super depressed. So then I would drink over that and it was just like this repetitive cycle. And when I first got diagnosed with that, I didn't know how to like handle that. Like I knew it was probably true, always in the back of my mind. But then I was using on top of taking like meds too. So that was just messing everything up. So once I really hit that like downward spiral through the summer before I decided to get sober, I just knew like I had to be honest with my doctors. Like I had to come clean because I couldn't go on like trying to, you know, play this character in a movie anymore, you know, shine it on. Yeah. And in fact, in the medical community, there's an unspoken rule. And I've confirmed this several times with doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists, et cetera. When you say, oh, you know, not that much, probably two to three drinks a night, (laughs) they are, they're timesing that rate by two to three themselves. And so they're kind of getting privy to what's going on as well. And did you say you were mis- yeah. misdiagnosed with something? We say that again. Yeah. So like growing up, I would, I was, you know, I would always be depressed and that's when I would go and see like a psychiatrist or a therapist. So they were like, Oh, you must have depression, anxiety, but really I have bipolar too the whole time because what happens is a lot of people when you're in like hypermanic phases, you feel really good. 
So you're not thinking of like, this is wrong. Like something's off. I should go to the doctor. You just feel euphoric. And, you know, I'm lucky I'm not a person of like, I don't have like hallucinations or delusions. So I never needed to like get medical treatment for like a manic phase. But it would just be like, people would be like, wow, you're so high energy and you can do all this stuff. And that's when like my partying would like go through the roof because I didn't need to sleep at all. And, you know, so once that kind of all came together, it made like, I had this big like, whoa, this all makes sense. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, thanks for clarifying. And again, how you said addiction yeah. is based upon past distress. Talk to us more about that. Talk to us why why you think you drank. Oh, man. Yeah, I think it's just like a lot of stuff of like, I mean, alcoholism definitely runs in my family. So I have like that to begin with. I think also just having, you know, experience of having like depressive episodes and like now knowing like the bipolar thing, like managing that was always like, it was hard to manage your emotions a lot when you're up and you're down and you're sad and you're here. Like I wanted to escape from that feeling of like micromanaging how my, how I felt all the time. And so it was a big like escape thing or if things didn't go my way. I think it's just like, I'm just very, you know, the dopamine in my brain, just like I respond to any kind of like addiction thing you could be addicted to like it's very easy for me to pick up on that stuff so i think it's just i was just made for it unfortunately <laughs> i have covered several times on the podcast about my theory of enhanced dopamine receptors i can yeah i can relate it. to that i can relate to that and i love how you said micromanaging your internal environment and that can be exhausting when we're trying to micromanage internally how we feel with external substances for a long time it was alcohol and i'll be the first to admit even in sobriety i did this when when no when alcohol was no longer part of the equation i did this with running i did this with work i eventually did it with nicotine i did it with other activities including netflix and once we become aware of this and i'm a firm believer the further i go that awareness alone is one of our biggest tools uh, then there's more progress and there's always progress throughout this journey and oh my I God, love, yeah, like, for sure. Yeah, and I love the milestones we hit. And one of them that I continuously hit, hand to forehead moment, I remember the first time I hit this is like episode 80 or 90. I was like, oh my God, alcohol is not the problem, which sounds so strange to say on a recovery podcast. And when I say alcohol is not the problem, what are your thoughts on that, Ashley? I think that I totally agree with you. It, I think it's just like that's kind of like, how's the best way to put this? Like, it's the, like, reaction response, you know, to something that you don't like, or I feel like there's so many other factors that then led me to drink rather than just like, oh, I'm just going to pick up, like, a drink and just start drinking. It wasn't really that way for me. It was always like something would happen and then I would drink or, you know, like, I would feel a certain way and then I would drink. So I feel like that's always how it went for me. And so it wasn't the, like, you know, primal problem it became like the secondary problem which then created like tertiary and like some more fallout of problems from it so does that make sense it makes perfect sense and i love how you describe it <laughs> there's a stressor in life and then cue coping mechanism and for us me and you and a lot of listeners that coping mechanism is alcohol and the further we go using alcohol all their coping mechanisms that we built from you know departing from the womb until you know, late teenager stage in life go out the window because there was a time where we could 
cope with life stressors without alcohol, but slowly, uh, those go out the door. And then when we quit drinking, it's like, Oh shit, we kind of start over again from scratch. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense how you describe that. I really enjoyed hearing that. And so yeah. how did you do it? How did you do it? You, you mentioned AA was a big part of your store. You, you found a women's group, which has been vital to your recovery, but what else did you do outside of the rooms? How did you get it to get to one week, two weeks, your first month? Well, so what I first started doing or started doing, I should say, is for me, I was just a big, like I knew and a lot of people have heard it is like people, places and things. I knew like if I put myself in certain situations, like where I've tried to always be like, I'm not going to drink if I go here. Like I had to stay away from concerts. I had to stay away from bars for a while. Like I had to stay in just like you were saying, like I also felt like, you know, addiction in many ways is easy for me to pick up in a lot of different forms. And so I'm a person who's always like chronically overly busy but I felt like in the beginning, that was probably a really good thing for me because I dove into like, I was like, what do I need to do? I need to find like a higher power. And by that, I don't even mean like God or something, but just like something that I can like look forward to that's going to like distract me and make me realize like there's more in this world and have like a spiritual connection that's going to like save me from myself while I'm feeling really lost right now. And I knew to like expect that because I'm changing the game completely of what I've done for the last, you know, almost 20 years of my life. I have to start over. And so I knew like running was probably going to be something that would be good for me because it can be a very meditative thing. But I've always been like a person if I'm physically active, that's a huge like medicine for my brain for me of like relieving stress. It helps me sleep. I'll eat better too. So I was just very like involved with like self-care in the beginning and then trying to get to a meeting in the podcast, of course. Ashley, and thank you for listening to the podcast and talk to us about this, this huge week long family reunion and early sobriety <laughs> and life does a great job of placing these tests in front of us we get sober and then we say, Oh shoot, in three weeks. We got a wedding. We got a bachelor party. You had a huge week long family reunion. How'd you get through it? Yeah, so I think I had about, judging, thinking of like the timeline, I think I had about a week of sobriety before I went on this trip. And um, my family is amazing. I love them so much. They're so much fun. But everyone likes to party and have a good time, which is like totally understandable. I just, you know, I just hit it too hard. So I know like it wasn't, it just could be totally disastrous for my sobriety. So I really like tried to look at the trip more instead of like partying and stuff of just like taking advantage of being somewhere that's like beautiful in nature. And I made sure like I was telling Paul before like that I was like frantically looking for like, I was like, someone has to have a podcast out here or something that I can like connect to because I'm going to be in upstate New York and there's not much going on in the middle of nature. And I really wasn't sure of like how I was going to get to a meetings. And I was like, totally scared to like admit this all to my family because it was only a weekend and that was really hard for me in the beginning of like coming clean to people about sobriety so I did a, every morning I'd wake up and like go sit on a hammock listen to two of the podcasts and then I would just try to like go hiking and be like outdoors and try to get a more like just sober experience of the trip rather than drinking on the beach all day and I made it and it was really great great job that's a huge win Thanks. Yeah, and you said you spoke to family members about your drinking. 
I call this burning the ships. What was that process like? How did it go? And what were the reactions you received? Oh, no, I didn't tell them. Oh, you didn't. Oh, okay. And no, so, but some people know, but people notice for sure. Cause they're like, why isn't the, the token drinker drinking, you know? So a lot of people at first, I was just like, like, I'm just really trying to be sober and like wind it down. And some of my cousins that I'm like closer with, I was just, I was a little more transparent with them. Just being like, you know, I'm just like focused on my health, but I've just been really hitting it too hard. And I want to like take a step back. And I think a lot of that was, I was really terrified of failing because I've done it so many times that I didn't want to tell people like, I'm really serious about getting sober. And then what if I didn't do it? You know, and then I'd look like a failure. It was so much of my own pride and being vulnerable, which was something I've also been (laughs) terrible about. But that's changed so much in just six months, which is amazing. And I finally decided to just like be more open with people as I got more comfortable in my sobriety. And now I like post stuff on my Facebook because I'm like, who knows, like people you can help people that were like me. Like, I wish I knew if there were other like girls that I went to college or high school with that are sober now, like I could have reached out to. So I just think you get a lot of respect from sobriety that I wasn't I guess not necessarily prepared for it, but just like didn't expect that. And it's really cool to see how many people actually support you. Yeah, that's incredible. And are there some specific responses, perhaps when you came in on Facebook or someone who's contacted you about sobriety that you can comment on? Yeah, I've had a few people actually reach out to me, which was really amazing. And just like, if anything, it just like kind of proves like, how awesome this whole experience is and that like it pushes me to like want to stay sober because I want to keep helping people. But um, I had someone that was like, I've been really close with my whole life and I know she's struggled with alcohol to reach out to me. And, you know, like now we're planning like to get together and she lives like in another state. And so it's just really cool to like be able to talk to people who really understand and get it. But then I've had other people who are like, I think I might have issues with drinking or how did you stop or how did you know? And, you know, just kind of more like inquisitive, but it's really cool to just be like, I'm here to help you with whatever you want. And I'm never going to be someone who pushes somebody or tells them, yes, you need to run to an AA meeting. Like, I feel like anyone can choose their own path of how they find sobriety, but being there to help people, you know, get started is huge. When you mentioned the reactions were something you didn't expect, what did you expect the reactions to be? Um, I just kind of feel like people would just be like, yeah, whatever, like not really care or like, I don't know. I just felt like it wouldn't be a big deal to people or maybe people would think like that I'm not who I guess I was just really kind of concerned about like people thinking I was different now and like different in a way that like I'm not myself or like I've become this like super religious person or something and it's not like it's amazing and it's kind of hard to describe, but I feel like anyone in recovery probably can attest to like, I'm still the same person at my core. Like I'm goofy. I'm super funny. And like, I enjoy just being a weirdo, but like, I'm so much happier and like, I'm productive and like all these things. So I think people can just like read that energy or people are like, you look like you're so much like healthier and you're glowing. And like, I didn't expect that. So it just, really drives home how how great being sober is. And Ashley, talk to us about some wins in sobriety. In the email you sent me, you mentioned that you're in the Phoenix airport not drinking, which is awesome. (laughs) Yeah, 
Yeah, that was a huge one. Um, most of my life, I was like afraid of flying, and I kind of got over that fear. But for a long time, I got over that fear because I would just hit up the ho- or the airport bar and drink, and I hated doing it because then I was like, I know I'm gonna get like totally blasted, and then I'm gonna have to get off the airport, and I need to like go do like get to the next destination and usually a place I've never been to before. So I'd always have to like calculate the drinks and like try to figure that out, which, you know, never works. (laughs) So I was like sitting in the airport and I was just like really just like working on some gratitude stuff. And I was like, I'm going to email Paul and just like, I feel like I owe you a thank you so much for the podcast. And then I was like sitting there and I was like, isn't it amazing? Like I'm doing this with my time instead of like blowing a ton of money in like brain cells (laughs) at the bar here. I was just like, I could have never imagined myself doing that. So that was huge. Or like now I can go to concerts and I don't need to drink and I remember everything. And it's just awesome where I can go to like out with friends. And like, if I post something on like an Instagram story, like one of my friends was like, I thought you were like drinking. You looked like you were having so much fun. And I was like, I was, but I wasn't drinking. I'm still fun. (laughs) So it's been really cool. Ashley, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing those wins with us. What is something you learned about yourself during this journey? Oh, man, probably like I'd mentioned before that, you know, I'm just super like hypersensitive and that I feel so many other people's emotions. Like I literally, if you're having a bad day, like I'll see that before I even like talk to you. If I just see like your body language and I'll start to absorb that and feel that way. And for me, that was really scary for like a really long time. But now like I'm learning as I'm being sober of like how to use that to like help other people and be more in touch with my own emotions and like how to process things because alcohol is not, you know, it's not a coping mechanism. So through that, I feel like it's just making me a lot stronger. It's making me learn how to like practice vulnerability and ask for help, which is huge because I was so focused on being like independent for a long time. And you kind of realize like that that's not like a character strength after a while, especially when you, you know, get into recovery. Yeah. Asking for help. That's a tough one. For a lot of people yeah. listening to this podcast right now, and I know that was a huge issue for me, and it's it's still something that I'm cognizant of that I continuously need to ask for help. You know, we're I'm putting on this event in Nashville. When this comes out, the event will have already taken place, but I've I've changed my behavior. I've sent emails to several people and said, "Hey, I need help. Who would like to help?" I have so much help now that I even put somebody in charge of uh, the people who want to volunteer and help. It's just there's there's so many people who want to help, which is incredible. But the difference is before I wasn't. I wasn't willing to receive the help. So it's, it just feels so good. And, and actually we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30, 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. What was your absolute worst memory from drinking? My mom had uh, surgery this uh, one time and we were in the recovery room and I was still so hungover and probably still drunk from the night before that I Grew up um, all over the hospital room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty bad. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. And we've all heard of the aha moment. When was your oh shit moment indicating the alcohol had to go? Probably just like that morning after I was at Pitchfork and woke up and was just like, I'm in a place like I shouldn't be in. I can't keep doing this. It was just like that iconic like movie scene of just like, you're sitting there and you're just so checked out and you know, it's like the show's over, you know? 
And what's your plan in sobriety moving forward, Ashley? Man, probably just to keep like building a network of like really cool sober people to hang out. I've met so many awesome people through like getting into lifting and exercise stuff and meditation. So staying with that and then just like working steps and staying in A is really helpful for me. So just keep on doing what I'm doing one day at a time. Yeah, expanding on your goal of building your community in your email. You said you'd like to hop on a meetup or a trip sometime soon. So I'm going to hold you accountable to that. I'd like to see you in person at a meetup. Yeah, let's do it. All right. And in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? Probably, honestly, just to take everything one day at a time. I was always like so wrapped up in like the future and like, how am I going to get to 90 days and how am I going to get? And now I'm just like, I barely even keep like a day count. I like check in on like my little app every now and then just be like, "Hmm, I wonder where I'm at. I mean, the milestones are great, but I just don't need to also like feel like I need to let that like run my whole life totally. Like I'm just really trying to be present and I feel like that helps me the most. And what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners? I would say, you know, obviously like avoid things that are triggering to you and always like strive to do something that's healthy and like look for self-care. I think that's like the best thing you can do to keep yourself sober. And Ashley, before we depart, give listeners your own customized, you might be an alcoholic if line. You might be an alcoholic if you constantly find yourself taking tabs on other people's drinking. Like I would always like watch people and like count like how far they are along before I could order like the next drink because I was always like ready to go. So like, yeah, keeping inventory on other people's drinking to like how you can get more drinks in. It's probably a pretty good sign. (laughs) That is a good one. (laughs) Ashley, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and thanks for listening. Thank you. First off, Nashville was fun. And if you helped volunteer to put on the event, many of the voices you've heard being interviewed on this podcast were there to help out. I want to thank Dusty. He was recently interviewed. Odette, she was also previously interviewed. A guy named Lena, Kim, Lauren, and another guy named Sean who was interviewed on this podcast. And if you attended the Nashville retreat, I want to say nice job. Sure, you hear a lot about me saying how these events are fun, how they're a celebration, which is on point. It's the truth. However, like most retreats, these things can be scary. At every event we've had, I hear similar stories where people get in the Uber to go to the airport, and on the way, they're about to change the destination in the Uber app. They say, nope. I'm going home. At the Bozeman retreat in 2017, a gal told me that she went down the escalator, went right back up the escalator to see if she can get on the airplane to go back home before recognizing, wait a second, I'm here. The body says I need to do this. So if you attended Nashville and there was a couple of you guys in particular that wanted a bolt day one, busting through the veneer of a comfort zone is uncomfortable. And the instant you sign up for a retreat, or as the plane flight to the retreat gets closer, the body is going to say, uh-oh, we understand that our routine, who we are, is going to change. New circuits will be built. The body will start to pull you back and say, okay, nope, this is us. This is who we know we are. I'm not okay with this change. So if you do go to retreat in the future, just be aware of this. And also the same thing can happen on the tail end. You can get home and after a couple of days, you're flying high from the retreat. Then all of a sudden the body says, okay, you had your fun weekend, but it's time to come back to who we are. Do not run from this. Just simply be aware from it. It's all part of the process. 
about five minutes into the chat, I looked out at the audience and I asked myself, uh, is any of this landing? It did with some, and for some, maybe it didn't. Now, some topics in recovery are easier than others to cover. For example, follow the drink. Pretty simple one to talk about. What's going to happen if I want to drink? Well, you can follow the drink. Think back of all the times you did drink. Did it turn out the way you wanted it to? Were we able to stop after just one? Were we able to moderate, etc.? That's an easy topic. Accepting the invitation to wake up. Now, what is waking up? And guys, this is straight up enlightenment. This is an awakening. This is the holy grail of addiction. Actually, I'm going to take a step back and correct myself. This is a holy grail of life. If you awaken, basically all those other issues, addiction, alcohol, perhaps it's food, running, exercise, gambling, sex, all that stuff just fades away. In fact, I mentioned this over the weekend. Addiction, alcohol, addressing that issue to start, is, it's kind of addressing a low-level problem. For example, if you want to address your driving record, hey, I'm getting a lot of DUIs, how do I solve this problem? Well, then you can just quit drinking. If you want to address the pain inside your abdomen, well, quit drinking and your liver will heal. And so you're addressing like lower level problems. But if we go up the chain, if we start addressing the root, sometimes we'll get to a trauma, a past trauma in life. We address that. And then below that, we're consuming alcohol to mask the pains of the trauma and that goes away. But if we keep going up this ladder to the very top, it's the disidentification with the mind, recognizing that you need the sweet to have the sour. You need the yin to have the yang. You need to have the pain to have the suffering. You need both sides. We've all seen that famous drawing where the first time you look at it, there's a chalice or a cup. Then you step back and look at it and there's two faces looking in each other. Now, the human brain is not capable of seeing both at the same time, but the human brain with the awakening process is capable of realizing, wait, you need the black before the white. You need the faces so there can be a chalice. You need the silence for there can be sound. You need walls for there to be space. That's the awakening. Now, again, to RSVP, there's so many levels of how we can RSVP to this invite. The last thing that I wanted to have happen during that talk is for somebody to leave and say, oh, I didn't RSVP to my invite, and I don't think I ever will. Incorrect. There's many ways to RSVP to this invitation that we get through alcohol and addiction. A basic way is we start to listen to our body. In fact, you've already done that simply by listening to this podcast episode or by showing up to retreat. You've already listened to the body. And one of the most profound ways we can RSVP is start to connect the mind and the body. Oftentimes we use the body to go external. We need to use the body to go internal to locate the mind. When we start connecting the body and the mind and the mind to the body, there's a sense of unity that happens. We make the first primordial connection that needs to happen. Now again, external, like I said, low level issues. So if we recognize there's a void in our life and this is connection and we start to build this connection on the outside, this is fine. In fact, the talk I gave in Dallas in January of 2018 was all about filling the internal void through connection. However, I focused primarily on external connection with other people. Sure, this is necessary, but I'd like you to shift focus and work on the connection inside because if we mend, if we blend the mind and the body and we make that first connection inside, the connections outside, well, that should just solve itself without doing any work. 
And I hope I'm making sense here with this. If we really make that internal connection hit, the external connection, well, that stuff just solves itself in time. You're going to be vibrating at such a high frequency that people are going to be attracted to you of both sexes. People are going to want to spend their time and energy around you. They're going to like what you're emanating. It's going to feel good just to stand within 10 feet of you. A little more about awakening. I'm a firm believer that a God or the traditional religious beliefs is not necessary for this to happen. And I feel an awakening is the next evolutionary step for our species humans. In fact, it may be imperative that in the next hundred years, ideally before the next world war, I don't want to be fatalistic. We're just looking back on human history. Uh, we had two of them in the 20th century alone. That's probably going to happen. The universe might know this is going to happen. The universe also might understand that the only way for us to wake up is to create something called addiction. The most lasting and precedented change is, is often precedented by pain and suffering. Addiction is a precursor to the awakening. Dr. Gaber Mate, in his book, In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, talks about how anthropologists had no record of addiction pre-modern times. Addiction could be a thing that eventually will save the planet. Okay, Hail Mary shot? Who knows? Time will tell. But I do encourage you to look at your addiction in different light. It's the answer, it's the solution, and it's not the problem. All right, Recovery Elevator, it all starts from the inside out. This is an inside job. I love you guys. Thank you.